Welcome to Retrace, the podcast that shares where you've been to show where you're going. I'm your host, Trevor Rayleigh, and I hope you enjoy this. I know I will. Retrace probably isn't the first interview podcast that you've ever listened to, and it likely won't be your last. What it will be is a deep dive into some very interesting stories from very interesting people. Maybe they're a musician who just wants to share their gift with the world, or maybe they're a father who's recording podcasts so their son can replay them when they're a little bit older. Or maybe you're a reporter who's always sharing the biggest stories in America. Or maybe you're my best friend who's trying to find that perfect work-life balance through meditation and journaling and a side of computer coding. Retrace won't only be a platform to share people's unique and compelling stories, it's also going to be one for me to share mine. I was adopted as an infant from Japan and raised by two loving American parents, but something was always missing. I had a void that I needed to fill. And on this podcast, I'll share my journey back home to Japan. Join me as I share compelling stories from some very interesting people while I retrace my steps back home to find myself. Welcome, everybody, to the Noise Canceling Pod. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Thank you for coming. Welcome. This is episode 21. Uh, what you just heard was the intro for a, an upcoming podcast called Retrace from our friend of the show, Trevor Rayleigh. Um, actually, he was in town last weekend, right? Uh, did you get a chance to talk about Retrace at all? Yeah, we talked about it. He's excited. so, And I'm excited, too, because the the topic is really interesting so he's he's adopted uh his parents were in the air force and then he was adopted when they were stationed in japan so his his biological family is from japan and he uh so he's he did previously he didn't have any real desire to go back and kind of learn about his roots but uh in the past six months or so he's really started thinking about it and he uh, mentioned it to his father and his father said hey I've got this binder all prepped with an itinerary and everything and I was just waiting for you to make the decision that you're interested in, in uh, going back there so he's going to uh, kind of talk about that process as he kind of prepares for heading back there and seeing how that goes and then he's also going to talk to uh, some some of his friends and some of the other people that he's got some great guests lined up to go on there so i think it's gonna be a real cool project yeah it definitely sounds sounds like something to tune into i you said you know he's kind of been feeling this over the past six months but i i think it's been even more recent than that we had a a phone call it was like uh midnight last week and he was just kind of overcome and just with the magnitude of the feelings that he was having so did did he share did he share that with you guys at all uh I don't think in that I wouldn't say it to that level. I mean, he's talked about yeah. how interesting it is. And I think you're right. It is more recent than uh, the last six months, but it's cool to hear. I think it's amazing when you when you listen to that intro, just the the rawness of it right now. And I think you know, podcasting in general really gives you that that opportunity to bring something to the surface that's happened that soon you know i mean if it was going to a tv show or something that needed a lot of production it could take months or years to get to and you know it's just it's this episode of his life and this new new time period of exploration that he gets to share with everybody so i'm really excited yeah yeah it's gonna be great and i'm sure that was awesome to get us get to see him again right absolutely yeah we had a fun time out here 
I bet. I was jealous to hear that a bunch of our old friends were, were in town and hanging out in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Hey, so uh, how's the... Can we get a four-minute mile update? I'm interested four- to hear how that's going. Yeah, four-minute mile update. I was I was thinking about this today because I, I did like a mini test this morning at the track. And uh, I would give myself a, a strong C- right now for okay. my training. I think uh, it's been pretty inconsistent. There's been some things that I've done well. Looking at my speed, uh, it's come back pretty well. Still need some form work with Mike Coates, other friend of the show. Um, you know, I did a test this morning, ran a 62-400, but the split was a lot better. It was a 30-32 split. Um, So so that's encouraging. Uh, I ran an 800. I was was going for 230 pace this morning, and I, I ran on like 235. Okay, and then, nice. But I, I was dying. So, I mean, it's getting it's getting better. There's improvement. Uh, you know, training-wise, just need to be more consistent. Uh, and I think I had a little bit of a breakthrough over the weekend. Uh, I was on a treadmill because it was raining. and just decided to crank the treadmill up to like 11.5 just to see, you know, how long I could do it for. And, yeah. you know, I kept it going for about 0.6 miles. Um, which I mean the, that pacing, I think somebody may correct me on this, but I think it's like five, five Oh five. I want to say at 11.7, something like that. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty good. I mean, a little bit of improvement. And the one thing I've been surprised by is, um, how long this is going to take. You know, I, I thought it was kind of maybe a 90 day, maybe four month goal. And, and now it's starting to seem like it's going to be at least six months at the minimum. Yeah. Well, at least I think long, I don't know about this distance, but certainly at more longer distances, you, you can continue later in your years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still have a few years before I, I'm in the, the oldest four minute miler ever territory. Right. Hey, so. just, just, I don't know if you saw, but the U S Olympic trials were on or are ongoing right now. And, uh, our four minute mile expert sub four minute mile expert garrett heath uh nana's friend from stanford he i think he ended up making the finals so if you want to check out the five thousand meters he'll be running i think it's on tomorrow on thursday that's awesome good luck i would <laughs> that would be so cool if he was in rio we could we could interview him for the pod and yeah. uh, see what the security situation is like <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so episode 21, I have to say, I'm surprised it took us 21 episodes to get to leadership. Yeah, I agree. This is one of my favorite topics. And I, we, we talked about it probably even before episode zero that it was a topic we'd like to get to. But I think, you know, because of our experience and because it's probably one of the things we read the most about and researched the most about, uh, it was not necessarily daunting, but a little daunting in terms of how we would actually get into a single episode. Right, that's, I think that's part of the reason that it took so long to, to get it going. But yeah, so we're calling this Leadership Part 1 because we, we're leaving the door open for uh, additional episodes on the topic uh, just because we're not sure where it's going to go. Yeah, as always, unsure the, the path and how it's going to end up. <laughs> we, like, we like to leave, leave some, uh, some options on the table. The uh, Choose Your Own Adventure of Podcasts, that should be our new tagline. Um, so Axel, I want you to kick off and just kind of give the audience 
just a, not necessarily a resume, but you know, your experience as a leader, uh, what types of groups you've led, um, just kind of the general background on, on why we're talking about this. Okay. So I'm probably going to just talk about two experiences that I've had. The first, uh, so being in the air force, you'd think we, we do get a lot of leadership training, but at least in contracting, you don't always get opportunities to be in leadership positions. But at my first base, my commander of the office, so the office probably had about 40 people in it, and he was deploying, and while I was probably the youngest or the second youngest person in the office, I was also the next highest ranking, at least from a military perspective. Yep. And so he deployed for six months, and they put me in charge of the office as the commander. So I feel like that was my first uh, step into kind of like your thrust into a leadership position. And that's when I, I had a great time. I treated it as if I was a commander. And that was kind of my first taste of leadership. And then I've had a couple of other opportunities since then that I've also enjoyed. And my latest being, uh, and I've talked about it some, I was the squadron commander out in Qatar, the contracting squadron commander. Uh, Actually, so I've been back for just about a year now. Crazy. Seems like yesterday. How many people were in that squadron? Uh, 18. 18. Cool. And I, I mean, I had similar experiences as as Axel was leaving Turkey. Uh, I was I was pseudo taking over uh, the other flight, which was I think nine people. So that was a <clears throat> that was an interesting transition. You know, you wouldn't when you're that young, I think I was 23 at the time and you know, your subordinates are anywhere from 25 to 45. It's a, it's a unique transition to, to say the least. And then my other major experience was, um, when I was working for DCMA in Iraq and I had a kind of geographically separated team of 12 people. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've ever had the geo separated situation. Yeah. It's, uh, and I mean, the the weird thing about that was it was a it was like a, a peer. Most of the people that were separated were were the same rank as me because I was still a first lieutenant at the right. time. So yeah, it was a there was a lot of uh, a lot of intricacy on that transition and and managing a team. Luckily, luckily I had really great people there and and just awesome awesome friendships at the same time. So I think that that helped a lot. So one thing, Axel. Um, send me a really cool video um, today and we'll send it, we'll put the link up in the show notes but do you want to just tee that up a little bit Axel? Yeah so the video is a, a speech by this guy named David Marquette and he is a submarine captain and his story is really cool and I heard it first on a podcast and then I found this video recently but the story is cool I think his perspective on leadership is somewhat uncommon particularly for the military but I really like the concept so his story starts off when he's he's uh he's at school for a year trained to be a submarine uh captain and so as a submarine captain you're generally expected to to be the technical expert for the submarine and you know what every single um part does at what every switch does you know how everything in the submarine works and so he spent a whole year learning how the certain class of submarines works because he was scheduled to take command the following summer. And then two weeks before he was scheduled to take command, another subboat captain was submarine captain was fired and they decided to put him in charge of that 
that submarine, and it was a completely different submarine. And so a majority of all this technical training he had done just got thrown out. And so he, as he's taking command, he's going around the ship and everyone's, I mean, people are making jokes that he's like, hey, what do you do around here? And they're like, whatever you tell me to, sir. And he realizes that he is in trouble because he doesn't know how it works. And there's even a, a funny story that's not in the video, but in the different podcast. He's standing there and they're about to, I can't remember if they're going reverse or they were making some movement. And so he's like, aft 20, whatever, he, make, he makes the call and his second command echoes the command. And then the person who's kind of like sitting there with the um, ability to make the sub move forward and back, he just sits there and the guy's like, okay, what's going on? So then he says the command again and his second in charge echoes the command and then the guy just sits there and he's like, what's going on here? Why aren't we going? And then the, the guy up in the front's like, sir, from this position, it's actually impossible for us to, to make that maneuver for some technical reason. And so he looked at his second in charge. He's like, hey, did you know that, that this maneuver was impossible? He's like, oh, absolutely. And he said, well, why, how, why would you echo my command if you knew it wouldn't work? And he's just like, well, you know, that's my job. I just, I do what the captain tells me to. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he realized he's got he's to do something different. So at that point, he decided that he's no longer going to give orders. So he's not going to give instructions. He's just going to give intent and then like ask the person what they intend to do. And so instead of him giving instructions, he gives intent and then the person says, Captain, I intend to submerge the ship. And he's like, okay, submerge the ship versus him directing the people. That was yeah. like the first step. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge change. Huge change. I mean, in the military, I would say even for a lot of offices, that's a huge change. Yeah, and he talked about, so if you stop giving instructions and start giving intent, then the people begin to have psychological ownership and once people have ownership, like that's exciting and that's motivating. And it's probably the case that there's some leaders that want to do rah-rah cheering and motivating, but I think that only works for a short period of time. What really motivates people is doing meaningful work and giving people ownership as a way to make their work meaningful. Yeah, for sure. Do you think rah-rah leadership actually works at all? I think it can work for a short period, it, but it's gonna. It, it, it can. I think it's a short thing. It doesn't. It's not gonna work for a long time period. People get worn out with that that kind of approach. Yeah. So the next thing that he talked about is because once you do that, it's a scary piece because you're kind of you're basically ceding control from yourself to these people, and he acknowledges that when you give control, you have to have two pillars in place. And the first is technical competence. So if the people don't technically know what they're doing, then you're in trouble. And then the second is organizational clarity. So someone could be an expert at what they're doing, but if they don't understand what the organization goals are or what the, what the plan is for the day, what the, what the organization is trying to accomplish, then they may be doing excellent things in the wrong direction. And I think yeah. 
So, and I think these two, these two things, like if you ask someone, why can't you delegate X down to your subordinates? Why does it have to be you to make that decision? And it can't like, it's going to, if they have these two things, there's no reason that you can't. Yeah, I completely agree with that. No, I think those two pillars are fairly difficult at times to, to, I mean, there, there's some nuance to when are they ready to make that move, right? Like when, what level of competence and how clear can you be sometimes with your, with your goals? Um, Uh, there's, there's definitely some steps in there. Yeah. To me, technical competence kind of has to come first. And then as a leader, your job is to just provide organizational clarity. Like that is your focus as a leader. And once people understand where you're going and you continue to reiterate that and communicate that as things come up, then that like, that's your, that's all you have to do. I mean, obviously you have to continue to focus on training and things like that for the, to keep the competence up. But once you have that going, then all you got to do is provide clarity and people are out there making stuff happen. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Um, I think especially when, when a job is more transactional, that that's, I would say a hundred percent true. I think sometimes when, you know, goals are more strategic, um, it gets harder. Like you, they can be the clearest strategic goal ever, but how do you actually implement that? Um, there, there has to be some coaching along the way, but yeah, I love that concept. You know, listening to that speech, I was just like, yes, that is what more leaders need to do. Yeah, it's exciting. Now, I'll just say the last thing he talked about that I think is cool is he's he talks about moving authority to the information. Don't push the information up to authority. And I think that's a cool principle to think about. Yeah, especially when the people have the technical competence, right? Like, right. If if they have the information and the actual skill, why wouldn't they be the ones that are going to make the best decisions? Right, and that that's when it comes down to organizational clarity and your responsibility as a leader to communicate what where you're going as an organization. And if they don't understand it, it's your like think not. Sometimes you put out these crappy communication flyers or whatever. And then people don't understand what's going on and you blame the, pe- the people, but really you need to look at how are you communicating and is it very effective? Yeah, that's definitely true. Now, I, I'll acknowledge that there is, there is going to be, I don't know how long the time period is, it's, it's going to be, be dependent on your organization, but there will be a period where this is a scary transition because you have to turn people, like you have to give people a leash you have to let them loose before this is actually going to take effect and that's a scary time yeah i mean i I think there's like this is a a big concept and i think there's a lot of ways to roll this out where it's not it's not quite as scary where you know you you may not have a shorter i'm putting air quotes on this leash on people but you know maybe you're following up with them to get more status updates, you know, you're not necessarily leading the decision making, but you're monitoring them a little bit more closely. Yeah. Without, without, you know, bordering on micromanagement. But yeah, I, I really liked that video. The, uh, I have to say the animation along with that video was incredible. Wasn't it? Man, that's, <laughs> yeah. One of the guys that worked for me and in, in uh, Qatar, he sent me that and I was like, man, 
the his speech is awesome, but the animation animation along with it is just incredible. Is incredible. That's so well done, so well uh, edited. And like I said, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, definitely, definitely worth a watch. So, so I have one more piece that I think is important. So I think from a leadership pers- perspective, like his concepts, I think are are what I aspire to. And then from a manager perspective, and for particularly for like having good communication, there's a podcast and website called Manager Tools, and they advocate for a these one-on-one meetings and have you heard about all the one-on-ones uh i mean i i've taken part in some one-on-ones but it, it may be slightly different than yeah, the concept so, that you're describing so the concept here like i know a lot of people do one-on-ones but the concept here is that first of all it's a half hour it's only half an hour every single week so and you set it on your calendar and it's a like a hard appointment that Obviously, if your boss schedules something over it, you're gonna have to move it. But like, you are dedicated to having this uh, thirty minute thirty minute time period, and it's broken up into three parts. So the first part is entirely up to your subordinate. So in theory, like the first ten minutes, they can talk about whatever they want to talk about. They can talk about their weekend. They can talk about whatever their latest hobby is. They can talk about work if they want to something that they need from you. But it's up to them to talk about what they want to talk about the next 10 minutes is for you so you can follow up on any things that you anything that you need to follow up with and then the last 10 minutes is for long-term goals or feedback or kind of long-term planning and so that's at the end because if the first 20 minutes runs long then that's something that can get pushed uh, to the next week gotcha and the, here's the, the thing that's important about it. So like a lot of times people talk about leaders who are like, hey, I'm out and about talking with my people, you know, I'm, I'm going up to them, asking them how, if I can do anything for them. I'm talking to them all the time. But like think about the person that's working for you that's sitting there focused on some, some other issue. They're trying to do work and then all of a sudden their boss walks up and interrupts them and then says, hey, what can I do for you? Well, they haven't thought about it. They haven't planned for it, and you've just interrupted what they've been working on. So the the key here is that number one, they can talk about whatever they want. It's on their time, and you're you're guaranteeing to them that you're going to set aside this time for them to talk about whatever they want. And I think that uh, like that principle is important, and it makes the communication between you and your subordinate a ton better. Yeah, and it requires them to have some some planning and foresight into what they're actually going to bring to the table because you're, right. you're not just going to spend eight minutes. I mean, some people might just spend eight minutes talking about their weekend, but I know if I, if I just had 10 minutes to, of space to fill, I would, I would be bringing new initiatives or new career development opportunities or things that I, I, I felt were, were more important, you know? Yeah. The funny thing is, so I did this when I was in Iraq and I had Eddie for, so I, the people that worked for me, they were in six-month rotations, and I had three flight commanders. So I had the the one-on-ones with the f- three flight commanders. And some of them would be purely focused on work, and then I had some that were primarily focused on, like, just their personal, not exactly their personal life, but more personal t- things. And mm-hmm. it, b- in both cases, I think it worked well. And, like, in the, 
the person that was talking about more personal things, I think that person was somewhat quiet. And if I didn't have that exact setup, I probably would not know that much about that person. Like I learned a lot about that person in those meetings. Yeah, I mean, I think leaving space for people, you know, to speak and share is, is very important. Um, yeah, no, I, I like that concept a lot. And it is a lot different than most one-on-ones where it's just like, let's go through our statuses from last week. Here's a few outstanding emails I need you to respond to. Here's a few other issues. Uh, and see you later. Yeah, exactly. So the, I started practicing it back when I was doing assignments uh, when I was moving people around and it was the team was me and one other person and the other person was my buddy Ken who we carpooled and we hung out on the weekends so like there was no issue with communication but the funny thing was I actually learned a ton about him during those one-on-one sessions like I learned really? about I didn't know like he started just brought up the fact that he played hockey all these other things and then the other thing that that I learned from that is so there's a, like a form you fill out and you bring the last week's form with you and then you're filling out the form, kind of taking notes as you go along. And I realized that like the process of taking notes and, and having follow-up items really keeps you on track because, I mean, we were just kind of doing it as, as a, I was doing it as a test kind of, but there's like a couple things where I'd be like, hey man, we've been talking about this for six weeks and you still haven't got on this, like what's up with this? And then we'd joke about it and then he'd take care of it. But it was it was funny how much you would think that would just be a waste of time because of the situation we were in. But I actually found it to be useful. Yeah, and I think, you know, that kind of addresses one of the most difficult relationships in leadership is that, that peer-to-peer, even, you know, friend-to-friend. You know, like that's that's one of the more difficult uh, relationships to, to manage when you, when you need to get things done. Right. Yeah, for sure. So figuring out, you know, like what, what sort of direct, more direct communication can you provide and how can you establish that rapport on the professional level with a peer or a friend? That's, uh, that can be difficult for sure. Yeah. Agreed. And I think you, you learn, like you said, you learn a lot from those situations because when it's just, a straight subordinate, you know, you kind of have this implicit, uh, author- I mean, you do have implicit authority already just with the rank change, but you know, you already kind of have an established relationship where you're going to say something, they're going to follow your order. Whereas this peer, you kind of have to be more thoughtful about how you're going to, you're going to bring about this order to them. Right. You, well, you've got to make somehow convince them that it's in their best interest as well. Sure. Yep. And, and that it's not in some way going to damage your relationship where they feel hurt by how direct you are in your communication style. Right. So do you mind if I jump into my five now keys? Now let's hear them. So I think some of the, the points that you brought up, the pillars especially, uh, mesh well with the five keys that I wrote down <clears throat> tonight. And so I, I have them ranked number five to number one. And I think that's where I'd, I'd solicit your most feedback uh, number five is team build, team build, and team build. I think there's kind of a lost art of team building within, I mean, I would say every organization that I've been in, I've been kind of the one leading the team building. I think in the military, we generally do a pretty good job, but 
you know, the, the pace of life and the pace of the mission and, you know, the stress that everyone's under sometimes pushes that team building to a back seat. And I, I think it really deserves much more consideration and attention than it gets because, you know, how else are you actually going to perform well as a team if you don't know each other, if you don't know what makes that person tick, what motivates that person? You know, how, how do you expect to, A, lead them, but B, be part of their team if you don't know anything about them? I think that's a great one. I Definitely knowing knowing about someone. And the thing is when you, there's going to be miscommunication. It happens all the time. And if you've kind of built a, if you build teamwork and you've built a camaraderie among the team, people's first assumption isn't going to be, oh, I miss, like that person's trying to screw me over. They're going to think, I know that person. We hung out doing this, and I know they're reasonable, so let me go talk to them, and we'll work this out. And like you said about the hockey, I mean, I know that was shared in a a one-on-one, but I think that team building brings out different aspects of people's personalities, and I think back to Turkey. We had an office Olympics where we actually did different Olympic events like long jump and shot put, and we ran a 400 and did long jump uh, and a couple other things, but, you know, the people in the office talked about that for months and months. And we had uh, this great, great uh, civilian who worked there named Randy. And, like, he was super quiet. Like, he always just did an amazing job on contracts and got his work done. But there wasn't always a lot of personality. And, man, in the Olympics, he was so into the shot put. And yeah, like, I forgot just about en- that. Just enjoy it. I mean, he came out of a shell so much more than any other time. And, I mean, it for me, that really, you know, became a friendship at that point you know like yeah. he had barely talked to me before then and, and after that you know like we <laughs> i wouldn't say we hung out but you know we he came by our house and we talked and i we ended up storing i stored like a bunch of his stuff for the year that he was gone yeah. so i mean it was it was this opportunity during a team building that um you know didn't just bring us together but brought out so much of different people's personalities yeah i, I think this is a great one so when I got to Qatar, I was talking with my boss about different things like this, and she was telling me how a previous job, she was going to this organization, and the previous boss, the boss before her was terrible, and she could see that everyone was moping around, and uh, and the morale in there was terrible, no one wanted to be there, and so it was right during the Olympics, and she, so she, and so she did a similar thing, she said, hey, what do you guys think about doing like an office Olympics? And she had just got there and she was pretty low ranking for her position for that much responsibility. And everyone kind of grumbled. And there, she said there's this army, this one army guy who's like, hey, I'll take this on. And so they came up with this office Olympics thing where it wasn't even like we had real sports. This was just like fake sports. But each section came up with a flag and they had an opening ceremony and they had this goofy <laughs> like whole Olympics. And she said, like she turned, like the organization turned around, and morale like was completely, completely turned around. And she's like, "It's amazing, but probably I'll, I can attribute ninety percent of that to that army major putting something together like that, and that kind of changing the attitude in the office." Yeah, I mean, it's it's really incredible how quickly a negative or positive attitude can can change an organization because once that mood is turned one way or the other that momentum is is really difficult to stop and so 
you know, one thing the Air Force I thought did a really good job was when they implemented Wingman Day, which is just this whole day where, you know, you do some things where you're like review, reviewing your annual compliance training or, you know, doing on the job training. But at the same time, you also do team building exercises and, and you're taking this full day kind of a step back to look at your organization and, and build your team back up from, from kind of the ground floor up. And I've actually taken that to a couple of different places that I've worked since, um, since I was in the Air Force. And it's, it's really incredible. People, people love it. I mean, it's not just a retreat when you're really using the day to, to find ways to improve your organization, to, to look at the different ways that you can, you can change your, I mean, we've looked at processes, we were brainstorming different strategic initiatives. And, you know, if you have, if you are the boss or the boss is on board for that type of brainstorming, it, it's really incredible how much ownership people take and how much their mood shifts during just a full day of, of not focusing on their work, but focusing on, you know, how their work is done and how the team is made up. Yeah, that's cool. Do they still do Wingman Day? <laughs> I guess um, I should ask that. I think they do. It's still done occasionally. When I was in Qatar, we used to do every single month we had a commander's call, which is basically where we had a meeting where I'd present awards and then kind of give my 10-minute talk on how everyone's doing where we we're going. And then after that, we would do a what we called a morale event. So... It was cool because we started off just doing something in the office and then each we rotated around the flights and each flight would try to like one up the morale event of the last flight. And it, well, I would say that it, the pinnacle was when we did a LARPing event. Are you familiar with the LARPing? Uh, you told me about it, but I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with that. So it's live action role playing where... <laughs> <laughs> where you dress up in like a costume comic book character and then you have like it's like a video game but real life <laughs> it sounds yeah. outrageous and it was but <laughs> most people had fun there's a lot of grumbling before oh it was probably half and half but uh afterwards i would say most people said that overall it was fun even though they would never do it again. <laughs> You're making the Air Force sound like nerds. Why I know. Not? Well, that's you guys aren't nerds. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It was. It was just cool to have pe- like people to, to not like have fun and not be so serious. So what I will say about that is, you know, it's it's a little bit similar to, you know, if you go to improv, um, where you're really just completely getting out of your normal persona and, and giving into the situation. Like, I think there's, if you can, if you can get to that, if you can allow that sort of freedom, it's, uh, it's extremely enjoyable. <laughs> I love doing improv. I haven't done it in a long time, but there, there's something freeing about really, uh, just separating yourself from what you're actually doing. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't recommend, like, I think I would not, I wouldn't start off with that type of an app. <laughs> <laughs> Walking them back real fast. Yeah, you got to build up to something like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, number four is uh, understand where each person wants their career to go. I think, you know, so often we kind of shift career development onto that person. And in my opinion, one of the, the biggest responsibilities of a leader and a boss is to, you know, help that person to either 
understand where they want to go, communicate where they want to go, or actually give them tools um, and resources to get there. Yeah, I, yeah, that's great. I think. And I, go ahead. Just in general, like getting to know your—it's like kind of like a cliche now of getting to know your people, but like really learning what what's important to people and asking the questions and really caring about what the answers are. I think that ties into into this and in that once people feel like you care about them, they'll do anything for you. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I think it goes a step further. I think there has to be this active participation. You know, it can't just be passively listening because I mean, I think that's great. And I think if you if you know that person, it's great. But when you can show somebody that like show them you actually care. Like here is somebody that you can reach out to to learn more about this. Here is a class you can take. Here is a an additional resource that that was helpful for me in this situation. You know, those are the things that people really it makes them feel valued. It makes them feel like you're more than just a cog in, you know, getting your next bullet point. Yeah. Um which I, I think when you're really building a team, that's that's pretty much the most important thing you can do. Right. That sounds like mentoring, which is a is a great word that probably isn't done very well. At least in the Air Force, it's talked about a lot. But it, and it, there are some good mentors, but I think it's kind of hit or miss. You know, I would actually argue that um, the mentorship in the armed forces is actually really good um, compared to out in the private sector. Yeah, I could see that. Just because, you know, career focus is a, a big part of daily life. I mean, it's like part of being in the military is being in good shape. So you you work out together, you PT. You know, career development is just as much a part of your your everyday life in the military. And it's just not like that, you know, outside of the military because people just want you to get your job done. Right, right. <laughs> they, just, they just want you to... Uh, you know, to use the military phrase, shut up and color. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and sometimes they're not even motivated to have you move position. Like if you wanted to move a position, it's, it's a, they're viewing that as a negative um, for the organization because they're going to have to go out and find somebody else to fill your position. You're going to have to retrain them. So, you know, to me, when a boss asks me where I want to go and wants me to respond honestly, I respect that so much because I know that they're going out of their way for me to get to where I get to my goals. Yeah. So number three is, um, like I said, kind of similar to uh, a little bit to the pillars, but this is, I guess it's a little different. Have each team member set individual goals. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's an extension of number four as well. Where, you know, where you're, you're saying, you know, tell me strategically where you want to go and then tell me how you're going to get there through your goals. Because yeah. I, I think, you know, we've talked about goal setting so much on this podcast, but I still don't think it's, it's given the right amount of importance, especially in that, that boss relationship. Like you may have overall goals for, you know, like for me, it's saving money for the organization. Um, and you know, a lot, I know in contracting you guys have similar metrics, but you know, you need those personal goals to, to keep pushing you because it's it's easy to just do your job and it, I, I shouldn't say that it, it's not always easy to do your job but but it's easy to just focus on doing your job well and if if you're really going to succeed long term you need to have a, a full vision of where you want to get to and then those goals to actually help you get there yeah 
I think that's great. And I probably wouldn't have put that down. But when you, I mean, now that you mention it, I did like in my in brief, when I taught, when people came in, I would say, Hey, I don't want you to waste your six months here. I want to make sure, like, I want to see you set three. I may even have them bring them in or write them down. They're three personal goals and three professional goals. And then I asked them about them when they left and they'll, and it was cool to see when people, like most people had accomplished those goals. So yeah, I think those are important. And that's awesome. And I think it should be noted that you are a superior boss. I mean, everything I know about you and especially your stories from, from Cutter, I, I'm, I'm struck by how good of a boss you had to be to everyone that was there. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, number two is back to the pillars, establishing clear goals for your team and measure against them often. So I'd say that second part is, is kind of the, the larger, the larger stick, that measuring stick to where, you know, you don't just set those organizational goals, but you're also, you know, saying, how did we, how did we actually do in comparison to that? And that's following up. Yeah. I would say, I would say fairly often. I think that's important. Although I will tell you that like one of the biggest wastes of time I had while I was in Qatar was trying to set these like huge, uh, like two levels up goals and then all these objectives and all this vision and it we spent a month working on this stuff and it didn't the problem was it didn't tie to anything we were doing mm-hmm. and really we started i don't know what i guess they ended up being metrics and for whatever yeah. reason what we were working on didn't lend itself well to metrics so instead we just within our the like one level above me we just tracked our progress towards certain projects mm-hmm. and that to me was way more effective than like your hey we're up five percent on this metric we're down three percent on that metric and i don't know if that was just the situation or or what but i don't know i think we tracking towards certain the completion of certain projects was more effective than in terms of goals than like a metric like calculating a metric yeah, I can say, I mean, you don't want things to be overly complicated, right? Like you, you want, you want people to be under, being able to understand it very clearly. It's almost like a motto or a mission statement where you want it to be written so clearly it can't be misinterpreted and it, it leads you to a, a specific conclusion, right? Right. The other thing I, I think about this, I will say for me personally, when I was so I had a monthly commanders call and when I think about what I focused on during that ten or fifteen minutes, like I didn't have I didn't have specific goals I was talking about, but I had three actually I had four, but the only three that I care about now, three principles that I talked about every single month, and that was building relationships, becoming an expert on what you're buying and then being a, a, a leader. So making decisions when we're trying to buy things. And like, mm-hmm. to me, I, that, that's what I was focused on. So I was focused, like I would remind them of that. And then I would give examples of where I'd seen people in my squadron do, do that very well. And to me, like that was very effective because it was positive reinforcement where someone's like, Oh wow. I, I was making decisions and, 
like moving things forward and <laughs> a lot of times probably making decisions outside of our authority kind yep. of but I knew that my team was smart and and I they knew that I trusted them so they were willing to go out and make those decisions and and then I would talk about that so I I just know that versus like talking about the metrics each month I talked about the principles and I don't know if again like it was just this the situation or if I would do that again it'll be interesting to see the next time I'm in a position if that will kind of carry through yeah and I mean I think to to what you said um that's a really clear goal right I mean I know you 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 said the principles but you know those are the goals that you're setting for that team and and they're so clear and they you know back to the pillars you know they they lead they left <laughs> excuse me they they leave a lot of room for those people to make decisions on their own right that like basically like what i think about now that was my way of providing organizational clarity like if in my organization if you're doing those things if you're faced with a decision and you're and you can look to how is it how does it mesh with those things like they always knew where i would stand on that decision so that was at least my attempt at providing clarity for what I was expecting. Yeah, I think that's awesome. What were those three again? So um, building relationships, become an expert on what you're buying, and be a business leader. And so by business leader, you mean helping people to make decisions. Yeah. Being- being, so, being strong enough to, you know, when you're talking to a colonel or general, that's possibly not making a good decision to lead them down the correct path. Yeah, and usually I didn't mean it like that stark. Really what I mean is, so we're, usually we talk about ourselves as being business advisors. And so I think that doesn't go far enough because we're working, like, we're working with someone else that's never work, written a performance work save. They've never written a contract. And a lot of times contracting just sits back and is like, well, you're the person who knows this. You should be able to do this yourself. And I was telling these people, like, look, the reality is these people don't know what they're doing. And you guys are in a better position to make decisions about what we're doing. So I don't want you to, in con- like, looking back at building relationships, build a relationship with them so they trust you. And then I expect you guys to, to make the decisions because you guys are... I want you to be more than just business advisors. I want you to to lead these people to make good decisions. That's awesome. That's great. That's great advice for almost any job. Well, the example I gave, and I I think I would never, I'm just give it. I I don't know if I gave this out in public, but like the inside example I would give is like, look, you're the people you're buying this stuff for are like children, and they're like wandering the streets (laughs) of a city, and you're you're walking behind them, and like let them go they kind of know where they're going but like if the child's gonna walk in the street like just yank you gotta yank them (laughs) like we gotta get these guys on track oh man i love that you need to teach like a introduction contracting class at at right path because that's that's one of the greatest that's such a great analogy (laughs) yeah that's amazing so my final one is um, and I kind of went a different way than, than you might expect. Number one is your team must know they are accountable to you. And I put, and want to be accountable to you in parentheses. Yeah. Can so you I describe think, that a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So one of, one of my biggest, um, I, I, I don't want to say regrets cause I, I learned a lot from this, but 
you know, one of my biggest mistakes from my first uh, leadership assignment, I guess you'd say, when when I was saying where, you know, my my office ranged anywhere from 25 to 45, you know, I, I gave some of the older people a lot of leeway in what they were doing. And it wasn't necessarily that that, that was bad, but I needed to use a little bit more uh, intelligence for when I gave that leeway. And, and definitely got burned a few times where, you know, I, I was, I was ceding a little bit too much power and, and they may, may not have felt as accountable to me as mm-hmm. others. Um, and so I think just, you know, not just that rank aspect, but that, that earned respect. Um, and, and a step further is that admiration, you know, where they really want to <clears throat> want to do well to not to impress you, but to, to earn your respect just as much as you earn theirs. And I think that goes back to the previous four where it's just really showing them how valued they are by you and how much you want them to succeed. Yeah. So I think your number one to me is an outcome more than like a prescription of what to do because like it's, it's hopefully it's an outcome of the first four but it's, it's kind of, to me, it's hard to say, how do you, like, you do that by doing the first four. You can't just do that by itself. Like, you can't just, it's kind of like, another example, similar thing is like confidence. Like, you can't just, you can't just tell someone, you need to have more confidence in these situations. Because, like, you don't just turn on and off confidence. Like, you have to build it up. And you you build confidence by having little successes, and then that's where you get confidence. And so I think that's similar for this thing of wanting to be accountable to you. It's not going to be like a light switch where you walk in and you say something profound, and now all of a sudden they want to be accountable to you. It's going to be where you're doing the previous four principles, and they're like, I trust. I mainly the person is giving me a vision of what we're trying to do, and I trust that he has my best interests. And he cares about me. I think that's totally true. I think what I, what I will say is, for me, it's more about setting that expectation. Um, and some may may say, like, well, you really shouldn't have to set the expectation that they're going to be accountable to you. Mm-hmm. But I, I think coming into the situation, you know, the first time you sit down, the first time you address the group, you know, communicating very clearly to them that, you know, they're going to be held accountable, that you want excellence and that you're you're not going to accept anything less and then you follow that up with the other four of, but I'm going to give you every possible tool you need to be successful, both in the situations in this office, but also in the rest of your career. So, I mean, to me, that was my biggest learning was, you know, I, I kind of came in <clears throat> to the situation, I would argue, uh, weekly. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily exert enough influence or communicate very clearly to the group that. I was going to be the one they were going to be held accountable to. And, uh, I, I just, I, I learned through that experience that, that it's, it's not something to be authoritarian, but mm-hmm. there is, there is some value to really, uh, laying that out very early on in that, in that relationship. Yeah. I don't, yeah. That, that one's a, uh, that one's an interesting one. I, I, I think I was very lucky in my, pretty much maybe in almost all my jobs I've been lucky to where I have haven't had people that were unmotivated and trying to slack off 
Like I just I, for I think I'm just lucky. I haven't had to deal with that. So, like enforcing accountability, I I th- I more focus on uh, giving positive feedback where people are doing well and praising people in public, and then other people like, hey, I want to be, I want to do that. I want to I want to accomplish things like that, and it's been somewhat successful. Now that's not entirely true. I guess I have had to dole out some discipline, but my folk, like I, well, an example. So we're, we're in this, uh, like panel of, for the air force, we had this panel for the new people that are going into command. And we were talking about like what you should talk about in your first commander's call when you first talk to your group. And one person and a chunk of people were like, you need to talk about discipline. You need to make sure that they know that you're in charge and that you like, you'll be when they're doing good you'll be their best friend but when they mess up you'll be their worst enemy or something like that and like to me that's not why that's not my approach like i i I don't know that's i don't i don't focus on the punishment on the negative (laughs) but maybe i've just been lucky well i mean i think that speaks to the overall and I'm, i'm not trying to kiss the air force's ass but the overall professionalism and uh excellence in the contracting core um no, that's probably true. So that that's that's awesome though. I mean honestly, that's pretty that's pretty cool that there's been that many subordinates that have all done such amazing jobs. Yeah. Hey, I so, wanna, can we go oh, back go up ahead. to biggest stumbles? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have, what's yours? Or is that what you So mean? I mean that that's really mine. It's just, you know, go, getting into that situation and uh being less strong (laughs) i'll say less strong than i would have liked to and yeah you know at times i wouldn't necessarily say i got walked over but definitely definitely taken advantage of to a to a certain extent by by older people in my flight yeah Hmm. so my the least the most memorable one to me of a stumble is so while we were there we were trying to do these big long-term projects the ones i was mentioning that we started tracking and I wasn't satisfied with how quickly they were progressing. And so I knew what the problem was. The problem was that my team was working on these, they, they were like doing their daily administration, like the daily work. And that was taking precedent over this long-term stuff because for their daily work, like they have a customer come in and they're like, hey, we need you to do this we need to do process that like so they have an immediate person telling them what to do not telling them what but asking them to take care of things and so they're setting these big hard things aside and so i'm thinking about what i was going to do and i was like you know what i'm going to do i'm just going to start not like meanly putting pressure but i'm going to start putting more pressure on these guys so that when someone comes to their desk they're going to feel like well i know this person's putting pressure but Major Clark has like really tightened the screws on getting this done, and so I'm gonna like push them off and work on this big hard thing. Mm-hmm. And it did not work well. So <laughs> what I, what I discovered was that like all I did was add more stress into the situation, and like really, so that didn't work. So I'm like, okay, I gotta try something else. So then I realized that the main problem, like it was some of the distractions, but the other problem was like it kind of went to not, sometimes I don't like to use the word technical competence because it implies incompetence, but that's not what it was. It was like, they'd never done some of these big projects that I was asking them to do. 
Yeah. And so anytime, I mean, this is just human nature. Anytime you're working on something big and unknown, like you're going to set it aside. That's not something you're going to want to work on. And so what, instead of putting more pressure on them, I realized what I needed to do was make them, help them understand that it was easy, or at least it wasn't easy, but it was easier than they had thought, or at least it wasn't unknown. And so we started, I started having just kickoff meetings and just walking them and we just sit down and walk through the documents that they needed to accomplish. And then that was much more effective for getting things moving. Yeah, I think that that's an important learning. I mean, you know, it's interesting when you look at personalities where, you know, you or I, you know, if we were, if we were to do something like that, it probably would be affected to really challenge us. Like if you were trying to motivate yourself, like that was, that would probably be how you do it. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. The importance of learning your team and how they respond to stress is huge. Right. And I w- it was not that they couldn't handle stress. Like they had a lot of stuff going. It was just, that wasn't the, adding more stress into the situation wasn't going to like they actually. So the bottom line was like, they were motivated to get this stuff done. They didn't meet, need me to uh, like put, cause more stress and get on them to motivate them. What they needed me to do was to help them see what needed to be accomplished and see what the overall scope was so that they were comfortable working on it. For sure. Well, that's a good learning. That's a good takeaway. So <laughs> I think to, uh, to wrap this up, I, I feel like we, we could just keep rolling for a while. Um, if anybody has any comments, why don't you hit us up on, on Twitter or questions at noise cancel pod. Um, if you want to check out, uh, retrace, you should definitely check that out. We'll throw up the link to the intro in the, uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, Axel, do you have any final comments? No, let's see. So I, Definitely check out this uh, video by David Marquette, and he has a book out called Turn the Ship Around, but uh, I, I love his principles. And then the other thing is if you're trying to figure out how to keep, well, to, I didn't even get into Crucial Conversations, which is my favorite book ever, but if you're looking for how to better communicate with the people, check out manager tools they have uh, a bunch of great podcasts and tools that you can use to uh to better communicate with with the people around you and uh, be more effective that's awesome so with that uh episode 21 is in the books leadership part one i'm frank boyce and this is axel clark it's been great check out retrace i think it's gonna be a, a great project